read the text this morning that our pastor will preach to us later in the service, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38 through 42. Jesus speaks, and Matthew writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you not only, Lord, for the redemptive work of your son, but thank you, God, also for his preaching ministry. And Father, thank you for these words. For Lord, these kinds of words and this type of ethical commands that you give Jesus, Lord, whole societies and civilizations have been tamed by them. Barbaric regions of whether Europe or United States or around the globe, Lord, have been conquered by these types of ethical teachings that you've given, Lord, and ushered in civilized society. Lord, these also speak again to us, Lord, as these words, they challenge us in so many ways, Lord. They, They challenge our egos. They challenge, Lord, our idols. They challenge, Lord, our own desire sometimes for personal retribution. Our our personal rights, our distorted concept of justice. And even at times, Lord, our own personal wrongdoings of unforgiveness and not entrusting you that you will make things right in your due time. And so, Father, I pray this morning as Our pastor preaches this text, Lord, I pray that we who have ears to hear will clearly hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. I pray, Lord, that where there is sin and where we harbor unforgiveness and, Lord, where we have refused those, Lord, because of our own personal greediness or because of our own personal sense of rightness or whatever these things are, I pray that today would be a day of repentance. Father, I pray that we would restore the difficult, Lord, and I use difficult, Lord, obviously speaking about our own flesh impulses, but the difficult commands of loving our enemies and doing good to those, Lord, who do not do good to us. Lord, help us to surrender our personal rights and more than anything, reflect the image of our Savior who bore the insults of many and yet still prayed for their forgiveness and offered himself as a living sacrifice. Lord Jesus, may your example 
be our way of living. Bless our pastor. Bless this service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. And what a prayer. What a prayer that song evokes. And I do pray that it evokes that from our very soul. Because in teaching through the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus is just showing us what the heart, what His heart, what the heart of God is like, what it has always been like. For He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has never changed. And praise God, He never changes. Because a God that changes is no God but a God who speaks, and it is so, and it remains so. That's our God. And this little section of the sermon that we have been in, chapter 5, beginning verse 17 and going all the way down through verse 48, it, it, it actually shows us several things. First of all, it shows us how to respond rightly to the law of God. It shows us how to meet the demands in Christ Jesus from Jesus' point of view. Jesus is explaining that which had been misunderstood by the teachers through generations and certainly by the scribes and Pharisees because their righteousness was merely external. And Jesus is teaching each one of us that our righteousness is internal. For we have put on Christ and his righteousness has been imputed to us. That merely external righteousness is just for show. But the righteousness of Christ produced by the Spirit of God affects everything. It affects our relationship with God. And as we read and study, it affects affects our relationship with people, not only we who are in the church, but even those who are outside the faith. And so instead of having a Pharisaic attitude of looking for ways around the law, we ought to embrace it as Jesus presented it and look for ways to please God. As Jason indicated in his prayer, that is impossible. But with Christ, all things are possible. All of his holy will can take place in us. For Jesus came to give us that righteousness that works deep into the heart and works itself out in love and purity and holiness. And I guess nowhere is it more difficult than in this passage and the passage that follows when we are interacting with unlovable people or unloving people. It it just goes against our nature to be kind and to love and to pray for and to care for and to witness to those who are in our faces decrying our existence in many cases and certainly hating our Lord and our faith. For those people, we are to love the unlovable, to show purity toward the impure and holiness before the unholy and the ungodly. And so when you and I are attacked, think about it, it happens from time to time, either verbally or it happens physically perhaps, and in some cases, what is your instant response? 
Well, my instant response when I see somebody who's about to strike me is to put my, my head in my hands and cover up. And you say, well, that's not very offensive. That's right. I don't see anything in here that says I can't, can't uh, defend myself, but it does tell me I can't retaliate. I mean, it's just in you, isn't it? Just in us. Somebody hits you, what do you want to do? Say it out loud. Hit them back. Thank you. We, we do become defensive. We do become retaliatory. And that immediate inclination is from the flesh. It is old nature. You say, well, it's, I'm only human. It's human nature. Folks, you are not only human. You are not merely human. You are indwelled by the power of the Spirit of God. You live a supernatural life. And we look around at our circumstances. We look around at the meanness of people and of nations. And we look and we cower. But the Lord says, rise up and bring love to bear. Rise up and display the purity of Christ. Rise up and display his holiness by your holiness. Nowadays on uh, social media, that's where a great deal of this attacking takes place. People, even those who call themselves Christian, go online. They go on different uh, um, social media pages, and, and, and they just obliterate others. They assassinate their character. And, and, and many times they would feel justified. Well, I'm just retaliating for what they did to me. And it's hard. When someone demeans you, what, what do you want to do? Demean them back. When they besmirch you, what do you want to do? Besmirch them back. And when they attack you with profanity, what is your inclination? And so this little section that Jason read for us a little while ago, Jesus is giving the Christian's response to such attacks. He began by quoting from the Old Testament, from Exodus 21, verse 23a. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The broader teaching goes on. It says first, and it Chapter 20, uh, verse 23, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. As you read this, you say, see? The Old Testament law says we can retaliate in kind. Understand this. This law and its outworking was given to control chaos. Remember that. The eye for an eye or lex talionis, the eye for an eye teaching in the Old Testament was to curb evil and to control excessive punishment. If someone were to take your eye out, you couldn't kill them. You couldn't cut off their hand. You couldn't stone them. 
Now you could go no further but then require in the court of law their eye. And notice I said court of law because this was to be done by the state. This is capital punishment. This is not individual revenge. The Old Testament text shows that this was given to provide the judicial system of the nation with a balanced system of punishment. And because it would decisively end whatever vendetta there might have been. This was never to be a formula for individual retaliation. But the problem is that a law designed to limit retaliation and punish fairly can be appealed to as justification for personal vindictiveness, even taking the law into your own hands. And we see this and we understand this in the world, but I tell you, it must be brought to bear within the church as well, for we will because we are human beings, necessarily hurt each other in some way. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the person, the one who is evil. And by our old nature, we do tend from time to time to do evil things. Now, the Spirit of God will crush a Christian's heart, a true Christian's heart. He will change that heart. He will cause repentance to take place and the asking of forgiveness to come forth out of the one who has harmed another. That's what it should look like within the church. If I offend you, and I'm sure that across the past 19 years that I've offended some of you, it's never been my intent, but if I, have in, if I offend you, my responsibility is to come to you and ask you to forgive me. And your responsibility is to do what? Forgive me. Forgive me. And too many feuds and vendettas have taken place in too many churches. You drive down the road and you see Unity Baptist Church. And you drive down the road another quarter of a mile and you see Unity Baptist Church number two. They did not plant that church. That's what happens. They fuss and fight and feud and they look like the world and they look like the court system. Now, the state has responsibility to punish crime. But it must do so in a balanced kind of way. So understand this. This is not for individuals. Jesus is saying that. You've heard it said that it's this way. But let me tell you, just surrender your rights. Boy, we don't like that, do we? And we're Americans, or let me change that, Americans. We have our rights. And as citizens of the United States, we do have certain inalienable rights. But as followers of Jesus, we surrender our rights to those who would take them away from us. The teaching of the Old Testament and the whole Old Testament flows from the two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with everything you are. And then from Leviticus 19, 18, you shall not take vengeance 
or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. And we are, by conversion, our own people. But you shall, here it is, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he seals it. I am the Lord. Sounds serious to me. And Jesus is explaining that your righteousness must supersede this external show of righteousness when it's convenient and this display of vengeance and anger when that is convenient. Scripture is always clear. Retribution is God's work. That being established at the outset, Jesus went on. And he went on to say in verse 39, look at it there, do not resist the one who is evil. Now sometimes evil and, and the one who is evil or the evil one rather can be, mis, or can be understood to be Satan or the evil that he does or has caused. But here is talking specifically about a human being who has done you wrongly, treated you evilly. And so in that statement, and in the verses that follow, the Lord takes non-retaliation even further. Don't resist an evil person, toponero, evil person. And in the context of an eye for an eye, the most natural way of, of understanding resistance is don't take them to court. You remember Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, what is this I hear? That brother is taking brother to court to settle differences. Go before a pagan court to settle differences between Christian people. Paul says, that is wrong. He says, isn't there enough wisdom? Aren't there enough wise people within your church that they can help you settle this? And I'm going to tell you, when you and I don't insist on having our rights and our way all the time, we can quickly come to terms with our brother and sister in Christ. Because my love for you is much more important than me being right. So it should be within the church. And he is teaching his disciples. Remember, he called his disciples to himself. And the greater crowd is listening at a distance. And those who would be converted by the Spirit of God would begin to understand. But he is teaching his own, those that he desired to be with him, how to live in this fallen world. And so he is teaching us the same way. When you come down to verse 40 in just a minute, we'll be, be there. It's talking about someone suing you. You may, through no fault of your own, or maybe perhaps through a foolishness or an accident or something, find yourself in a court of law. And I would always tell you that if you are innocent, you should maintain your innocence. But if you are guilty, then you need to give them what they ask for. But like the, the, the Old Testament laws that permitted divorce, remember when we talked about this some month ago? This was like that, instituted to curb evil. 
Jesus teaches later in the Gospel of Matthew, because of the hardness of men's heart. You remember uh, that, that, that men were divorcing their wives willy-nilly over any little thing. She was a bad cook, and so he divorced her. It was out of control. And so a bill of divorce was given to bring things under control. That bill of divorce says this is important. The marriage relationship is important not only to you, but to God Almighty. And you are severing that relationship by this bill of divorce. And it should give a person cause and pause to wonder, am I entering into this rightly? But it was also to protect the woman because all sorts of rumors can start. But she had a bill of divorce that says, he divorced me because I'm a lousy cook. Nothing more. But they were divorcing over anything at all. And so it was taking place here. All manner of things. And, and while uh, the eye for an eye legislation was probably not practiced often in Jesus' day, many were using it for personal retaliation. We must be brought under control. How are we brought under control? Well, uh, the prophets Ezekiel and, and Jeremiah taught us how that would come about. And you and I have read the accounts and we who are in Christ have experienced this. For they foretold, and we are in a time when there will be a change of heart among God's people. Living under a new covenant, a covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been brought into fellowship with Christ by his work so that not only are our sins forgiven, but obedience to God springs from our heart. And God says, be holy as I am holy. And God says, love me completely and love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Exodus 20. I'm sorry, Ezekiel 36, 27. Ezekiel writes from the, the, quoting the Lord, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. This is what has taken place in your life, Christian. And we must fight against those natural urges that lead us to lust, that lead us to selfishness, that lead us to hatred, that lead us to, to taking oaths and swearing uh, by God on, on, on occasions that is totally not proper, and then to take our own vengeance and retaliation. This is not what the people of God are to look like. Because we are in America and because of our inalienable rights that have been identified through uh, our various founding documents, we begin to think of our rights more and more. Let me talk to you just briefly as an aside, and I'm going to write about this in depth tomorrow. It'll be on the blog on the website. But, uh, like many of you, I've been thinking about the situation that took place in Singapore last week, the summit uh, between our leader and the leader of the North Koreans. And while uh, the thought of a safer Korean peninsula and a 
safer region of the world and a safer world altogether is, is, is a part of this. My greater concern are for the North Korean people. It's a nation with 25 million people. And one quarter of a million of them are living in uh, work camps. Those who have fled from North Korea describe them much the same as the uh, labor camps and death camps at Auschwitz. The nation as a whole is undernourished and, and starving, but those who are in these internment camps a quarter of a million all across that tiny little country, quarter of a million of them starving with no medicine. They die by the hundreds every day. And included in that quarter of a million are 50,000 of your brothers and sisters in Christ. 50,000. And this present leader's grandfather began back in 1955 to establish a new ideology that saw Christianity as the enemy. And across the decades and even into the 70s and, and, and 80s, when the Spirit of God was moving and bringing a great spiritual awakening in South Korea, in North Korea, the, 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 the Kim family is, is systematically destroying Christianity through death, through internment camps, through all manner of evil. 70,000 were killed in the early 1960s and 70s. 70,000 and most other Christians were driven out of the, the inhabited areas to live in the wilderness. There's an estimation that many of those remain together with 50,000 of their offspring out in quiet places. But as soon as it is reported that they are reading their Bible, as soon as it is reported that they are naming the name of Jesus, they are taken to an internment camp. Not just the one guilty, but the whole family is taken there. On the eve of the summit, the South Koreans, myriad of Christians there, fasted, prayed, held vigils, cried out to God that there would be a success in this, not just for the nuclear dearmament, but that Christians would be set free and that the name of Christ might be able to be named freely. And we talk about our rights. They have none. And Jesus said to them, do not resist the one who is evil. If you are not praying for the North Korean people and for the Spirit of God to do a mighty work in that, I would just plead with you, begin to pray that way, not just for there, but other places, Venezuela, other countries throughout the Middle East, 
where Christians are not only being oppressed, but they are being tortured, murdered, and starved to death. So we set aside our rights, and Jesus gives us four illustrations to clarify his point and then just drive it home. First illustration there in verse 39. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That verb slaps or, or strikes, rapetzai. It refers to a sharp blow upon the face. And he says it's on the right cheek. And so the picture that you must have is someone backhanding you because most people are right-handed, backhanding you upon the face. And not only is it painful, it is embarrassing. It'll knock your tooth out if you're not careful. So Jesus is describing a man coming and striking one of his followers on the cheek with a painful and insulting blow at the back of his right hand. And instead of seeking recompense at law for the tooth that got knocked out, Jesus' disciples will gladly endure the insult again. Just let it steep into you for a moment. Overcome that natural urge. And I would encourage you if that takes place, mortify the flesh and tell that person, I love you because of Christ who dwells in me. Verse 40. Matthew records, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have his, your cloak as well. The tunic is, a, is a, a garment that was worn right next to the body. And then, of course, the, the cloak was the outer coat. And it was a, an inalienable possession under Mosaic law. In Exodus chapter 22, Verses 26 and 27. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And then God adds to that, if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Well, what's the message there? Be compassionate. If a man gives you his outer coat for payment as collateral until he can pay his debt, give it back to him at night. It's cold. It's freezing. And what else will he sleep, the Lord asks. And if you are not compassionate, I will notice as you read through the prophets, and particularly come to prophet Amos, in addition to gross idolatry, part of the reason Israel came under God's judgment was that they violated the social legislation of the covenant. Acts 2, verses, I'm sorry, Amos 2, verses 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they sell the righteous for silver, 
and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down, here it is, beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. We read through that. How do we think about the poor? How do we consider them? The Lord is compassionate to them. How dare we climb upon the backs of the poor and the indigent and look down in some sort of superiority? For I tell you, each one of you are totally impoverished without Christ. You have nothing. I can never look down upon another human being. I don't understand their circumstances. I don't understand their uh, lack of, of wisdom in living. I don't understand how they can do certain things. But my great response is love for them. Love for them. So to demand a cloak taking away a person's basic need and basic right, that was allowed. But to keep it overnight, that was not allowed. But Jesus says to his disciples and says to us, if you're sued for your tunic, the inner garment, then instead of seeking satisfaction, gladly part with what you can legally keep, your outer clothes. Don't get into wars and courtrooms. Don't be at war against any individual. Think of the Lord. Think of the cross. Number three, verse 41. If anyone forces you to go, to go one mile, go with him two miles. Third example refers to the Roman practice of commandeering civilians to carry their their equipment, their their luggage, their their baggage, the military personnel. And it was a prescribed distance, which was a Roman mile. An impressment into service, like wrongful uh, lawsuits brought against us and, 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 and wrong things being said about us and all these things. All of this evokes outrage within us. But the attitude of the the disciple of Jesus that is ruled by the Spirit of God is that under such circumstance we will not be spiteful, we will not be vengeful, but we'll just be helpful. They should be willing to go the second mile or, or, or even three by the reckoning of some. The point is, instead of causing problems, do not resist the one who is evil. And then the final illustration says, if you're going to make a loan to somebody, don't charge interest. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Give with a a generous spirit. 
And our natural inclination is when we loan somebody something, we write that down and we remember it. And we may never bring it up, but every time we see them, we think, that person owes me $10. That person owes me, owes me $50. It owes me $1,000, whatever it is. And every time we see them, that eats at us. When you make a loan, just give it. And if they pay you back, it will be a great blessing. And you say, but they, they said they would pay me back. It's not up to you. It's up to them. And I would say to you, if any of you owe somebody something, pay it. Pay it. That's what Christians do. We render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and we render unto our brothers and sisters that which they have loaned to us. But if someone begs from you, give them. And this is a hard attitude, a heart attitude. It's a hard attitude, yes, but it's a heart attitude. This is the better righteousness. There's, there's no legal recourse to the oppression in, in, in carrying, going the second mile, you couldn't fight Rome. The North Koreans can't fight the Kim regime. And in this case, no, no harm is done that might lead to, to retaliation. But our heart is to forgive. And our heart is to surrender our rights if necessary. And in Jesus' day and in our day, as we read this, it, it's shocking, isn't it? And, and, and I'll grant you, these are not legal prescriptions. Verse 42 there doesn't mean that you have to just give, give, give to everyone. You can't be foolish. You can give all your money away and have nothing to eat, nothing to provide for your family, no way to pay your own bills, and that is foolishness. The one who doesn't provide for his own family is worse than an infidel. We provide, but to withhold when we have to give. That shows a heart that is selfish. These illustrations can't be diluted by endless equivocations. The only limit to our response in these situations is what Scripture imposes and what love would have us to do. Because you see, this covers every type of, uh, of situation when a Christian might be attacked or might be taken advantage of. Christians, when struck, do not strike back. When sue, they do not sue back. We are not litigious people. Christians are helpful even to those who press their will upon us. We help those who are in need without expectation of repayment. And we look at that and we say, well, how is this fair? How is this fair? We're Americans. Everything's supposed to be fair. Folks, we are first and foremost the people of God, not the people of the United States of America. I am grateful for our nation. I pray for its leaders. I take joy in the benefits that it provides for me. But my allegiance is to Christ alone. And in these cases, there is nothing fair about it. 
In each case, the individual believer who has done nothing to antagonize anyone other than be the example of Christ that he's been called to be, each time they are being mistreated, physically struck, wrongfully sued, stripped of what is rightfully theirs, pushed around, badly treated, and paying what he or she did not have to give. But I said a few minutes ago, And I hope that your mind went there. Look to the cross. For is this not exactly the description of the passion of the Lord Jesus? Betrayed by his friend, he was interrogated by the high priests. And when he responded truthfully, he was struck in the face by one of the temple officers. He was declared innocent by the court of the prefect Pontius Pilate who then flogged him and then crucified him. Was that fair? Was that fair? And under those trials, witnesses lied about him under oath. And they took his tunic and his cloak and they forced him to shamefully walk to the place of his murder, carrying the object of his execution, the horrid cross. Does any of that seem right to you? And on that cross, he bled and died and paid the penalty for our sin, the debt we can never pay or repay. Does that sound fair? Is it fair that the one perfect human being, the only one who never sinned, who always pleased his Father, God Almighty, is it fair that he would suffer thusly for someone like you? How dare I demand my rights when he set aside the glory of heaven to suffer like that for me? And understand this. With a word of appeal to his father, Matthew 26 tells us he could have at once sent more than 12 legions of angels to stop these atrocities at any point before the first blow was struck. But he endured it all because it was the will of his father and that it was God's desire to save a people for his own particular possession. Fair flies out the window. Christ stands before us. And the message of the sermon, Sermon on the Mount and of this little sermon here is to be like Christ in all righteousness. When you and I respond as he did, we gain opportunity for the gospel. For through his passion, the gospel came and saved us.
the writer of Proverbs penned in Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. These are hard teachings. It's hard in the home. One gets crossed with the other and the insults fly. Christian people crucify those things. And Paul tells us in Romans 12, 18 through 21, if possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And Paul doesn't stop there just like Jesus. Didn't just stop at the statement of the fact. Paul says in verse 20, under the, Inspiration of the Spirit of God. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but are overcome evil with good. And so we suffer much because of Christ. And we tell others of his great love and salvation is available to those who would seek him, return from their sin, and come to faith in Christ. As difficult as this is for Christians, if you're here this day and you are not possessed by the Spirit of Christ, you have never come to faith and repentance. And this sounds like so much insanity to you. But the gospel sounds like foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the mighty truth of the word of God. And perhaps you feel that drawing of the spirit of God within you this morning. Perhaps you don't understand what all of that means, but you need some help. I'm going to tell you, if you would rise up, you would walk out those two back doors, somebody will meet you right there. And they will help you understand your need for a Savior, how this was made possible through the Lord Jesus, and how it might become a reality for your life. And then Christian. I challenge us to identify ourselves this day as people of God or as people of America. I, you must separate the two. How is it that the Lord would have you live? The examples are clear before us. They cover our entire life. And I'm going to tell you, we would, if we are all living the way Jesus described here, we would be a formidable opponent to a world of darkness for our light would so shine before men that they would see our good works and give God the glory. Father, 
Spirit of Christ, move in a mighty way among us, within each individual, within our church fellowship. Help us to desire you more and more, to desire to be together more and more, to desire to tell the truth of the gospel more and more, and to see ourselves decrease and to see Jesus increase. Oh, Lord, help us this morning to walk away from here convicted of our selfishness and pride. May we crucify ego and allow you, Lord Jesus, to take over our lives completely. Oh, Jesus, forgive me when I don't look like you. Forgive me when I don't speak as you would have me speak. Forgive me when my attitude is not that which you would have me have and when my deeds are not in alignment with love and purity and holiness. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it like yours. That's my prayer for myself and for each one here gathered. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor. just want to mention a few things going that's coming up in the life of our church as we uh, uh, just turn your attention to the announcements. I won't go through every one of them, just uh, to notate the ones that are uh, important. First of all, today is the last day for the baby bottle boomerang. Uh, we collect the... Baby bottles and uh, change for between Mother's Day and Father's Day. So, yes, there's one there, an example. So uh, if you have those, please turn them in. Uh, if you don't, uh, you know, please bring them Wednesday at the latest if we can. So we need to get those in. Also, um, the Children's Music Camp is coming up the week of June 25th. Um, that's going to be exciting. We have Levi Fortner, who's coming back as well for that, as well as Tommy and Kelly Spears. Their family will be here that week also and participate.